Nicole, it's so good to be here with you again and uh, yeah, connect again on the podcast. I'm so honored to be back, Corey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Well, so since the last time we talked, I actually shifted the premise of my podcast a little bit because, you know, I've done over 400 episodes and wanted to keep things exciting. And uh, so the, basically the the newest incarnation of it is looking at how do people who are doing extraordinary things, which that of course is you, um, how do they go from having a normal life where they felt like they desired to reach some higher level and what was the insight that they had that helped them realize that that was possible and that they stopped started <clears throat> walking towards that thing now i'm curious for you you know and there are no rules here it can be whatever whatever you want whatever part of the journey whatever insight that you had but something along the way from becoming, you know, who you were to, you know, the incredible person you are today, something that clicked and hit you that made you realize something you need to do to, to start moving in that direction. Well, thank you for the kind words. And I think I might answer this a bit differently because it wasn't for me, um, a realization, an idea, even a desire to just to use your language as I do think resonates for a lot of be at a higher level or a different level. I mean, I had come to the end when this insight occurred that I will share in a second. Um, I'd come to the end of what I thought were all of the achievements that I had wanted you know, to make for myself or create for myself, having a successful private practice, being a in a relationship, having the choice to be able to you know, move home to my home city and more or less choose where I lived. And what I'd come to realize gradually over time, it, it wasn't a moment is, you know, how disconnected and unfulfilled I was feeling from the life I created that I thought was going to result in feeling connection and fulfillment and, you know, all of the good stuff. And so the insight for me was really kind of pulling back um, you know, myself in a way and beginning to explore and really realizing that many of the choices that were leading me to achieve all of those things weren't really coming from my authentic self or the deeper space of wants and desires. And once I, that would, I, that would be what I would define as the insight. Once I realized that I was living very much disconnected um, from myself at my core, I wasn't meeting the needs of my body. I wasn't aware of what my emotions were. I wasn't kind of looking internally to be guided. Um, so really the insight for me was a shift into, wow, that's important that I do that, that I reconnect with, again, for lack of a better words, my authentic self or, you know, my deepest wants and needs and desires. And then that is what led me um, to living in alignment. So, you know, whether or not, you know, it's even interesting for me to hear myself described as, you know, someone achieving, you know, these things. Um, I think that that often though, becomes the byproduct of living in flow more often than not and living in alignment. So that is how I would define the insight is I'm living, making choices that aren't necessarily connected to who I am or what I am. I don't know who I am and what I am. And then I began the journey to reconnecting with that, that person, that being. Beautiful, beautiful. So how did you start to identify those feelings because whenever you're disconnected it's very hard to have insights and kind of look inward because you're you know by definition not connected to yourself how did that start to open up for you the as i will always kind of cite really simplifying change change or making new choices really begins from kind of really being present 
to where we are. So even just that awareness of how disconnected I was, because I wouldn't have used that language um, for decades of my time, of my life, of my development, until I really understood, you know, what it is to be connected and living in a physical body that does have needs and sensations, and even more so, the reality that this emotional world of, you know, which I was very much trained in, so to speak, in the clinical psychology field, I wasn't so much, because my training historically and a lot of societal beliefs you know, weren't connecting or mapping emotions onto the physiological body. There was no conversation about the body at all. So my ability to even make new choices to reconnect with the self that I would make an argument lives in our physical body and speaks through those sensations began by me first noticing all of the moments that I was disconnected. And then in those moments, beginning to make the choice to refocus my attention on my physical body itself. But to speak to your beautiful point, there's a reason, and you'll always hear me speak of the adaptive nature of all of these ways that we protect ourselves from our overwhelming feelings, often which originate in childhood when we're under supported. Um, so of course I can say, you know, oh, just reconnect with your body, though it, it's more complicated than that because what many of us are then left, especially if we're disconnected like I once was, we're left to reconnect with a body that has all of this overwhelming emotional trauma stored in it. It's, it doesn't feel like a safe place to be, which I wanted to just end on that because again, logically we could hear, oh, just reconnect with my body. If you're listening and you're relating to this like idea of being disconnected, I feel numb, I don't know who I am. Oh, okay, great, I'll just reconnect. And it's not as easy as that. It's about building that foundational safety now in my body through very intentional practices, you know, where we can learn to regulate our overwhelmed nervous system, which is absolutely part of that foundational ability to even then begin to make sense of our emotional world so that we can then decipher, like you were sharing, okay, what is coming from that deeper internal place and what is really just a remnant of my old, you know, psychology experiences, trauma, narratives, and everything that we're all carrying with us in our subconscious mind. Yeah, that's a really wonderful description. And especially where, you know, in the mainstream sort of public sphere of social media and um, even podcasts and things like that, there's a shorthand whenever things like this are talked about often, you know, someone will just say like, sometimes I even wonder, like, do people are they aware of what they're saying? Or are they just repeating pieces of things that other people have said? Because someone will say, Oh, yeah, well, just reconnect with your body. And it's like, okay, great. But then how and then what? I love that what you pointed to there was that like, there's so much more to it than that. And that, yeah, reconnect with your body. But here is what's going to happen next. Now you do that, you're going to now you're going to be looking under the hood for the first time. And what I, I kind of like to call it the untended garden. It's like there's this garden inside of you that's been growing for your entire life. And you've never one time been able to see it and to start tending it and pruning it and getting the soil healthy and stuff. And so the first time you look at it, you're like, oh my God, this is what I am. <laughs> and that scares a lot of people away, you know? I think even before that, there's a lot of shame when we come to the awareness or even someone offers, you might not know what's in your garden or even just the question of, I don't know who I am, especially as we age. I think there's a lot of shame that even may prevent us from looking inward to this. I love that analogy, the untended garden. <laughs> Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's whenever I've heard so many people talk about meditation where they try and meditate one time and they see what's going on in their mind and like, oh my God, it's chaos in there. And that's who I am as a person. 
you know, they're like that, that's me. And so I don't want to know that anymore. Cause like you said, they feel guilty. They feel shame. They feel embarrassed. And they also feel out of control you know, because they look at that and they're like, oh, wow. So I'm just going to, this is who I am. And I'm just going to try and plow ahead and, you know, try and continue to ignore that. Um, but I, it's just wonderful that you point out that that's a step of the journey and make it clear that, yes, that's what you'll experience. Um, so someone going through that, that experience, how would you suggest that they start making their body a safe place again? I love the way that you frame that. Um, you know, really it's going to all the choices that we can make are really to tend to our nervous system. I like to give, you know, language, kind of physiological language, evolutionary language um, based in our body, because that is, we now know, sending a large majority, if not more messages to our mind. Um, for a very long time, even in my field, we, we praise our mind because we have an incredibly powerful ability in our prefrontal cortex to, you know, think our way, imagine our way into future scenarios, though, again, we leave out the body and our nervous system, which is always outside of our awareness, scanning and oftentimes contributing not only to how we feel, but then how we're how we're thinking. So even this example you're giving um, of, you know, stopping to be still in meditation for so many of us, if our body right is and I'm going to just focus on a couple areas of our body, if our heart rate these are all signals that our nervous system is now, you know, activated or involved if our heart rate is elevated. And many of us are always living with an elevated heart rate. It feels like it's beating out of our chest. And if our muscles are tense and if our breath, similar to our heart, is really quick, when we're trying to sit still and we're trying to even will our way, meditation is good. I listen to Corey. Oh, my gosh, he's meditated for a lifetime and he's telling me all these great benefits. Right. This is where shame now comes in. Because what our body is telling our mind in that moment is that sitting stillness is absolutely the, the wrong thing to be doing when there's an active threat at hand. Now, it's confusing because we're sitting in a dark room. There's maybe no one around us. And what is the threat? There's nothing there. Though, again, the threat is being reflected in our body's reactivity. And it probably for a lot of us is just stress, trauma that we've been carrying. So I shouted out those areas in particular um, because, again, as all things, it begins in awareness, learning how to refocus our attention to our body so that we're not now shaming ourselves in those moments. Of course, we're going to have racing thoughts and it's going to feel unsafe to sit still. We might even have thoughts telling us not to get up and this is not worth doing whatever it is that we're doing. So when we have a new understanding of what's happening, right, oh, my heart rate being elevated, my breath being quick, my muscles being tense is a signal that my body is under stress, right? That's a new awareness. Now I have the opportunity to make some new choices to shift maybe my breathing, you know, slow my quickened breath to calm my body down, practice, you know, muscle relaxation exercises, trying to release some of the tension. Of course, it doesn't immediately shift us into a completely peaceful state, though the more we practice those two steps, let me pay attention to what my body's doing, those three areas in particular. And when I do notice that my body is reacting to stress, even if it's not, you know, outwardly present in my environment, I can make some intentional choices through breath work, through movement, through muscle tension and release to actually then shift the signals that my body is sending to my mind. Yeah, that's so important what you're talking about. And personally, that was a huge breakthrough for me, you know, in earlier chapters of my life, whenever I was in perpetual parasympathetic nervous system mode, just always all the things you described, the tight muscles, fast heartbeat, 
perpetual reaction state, just reacting to one thing and the next out of fear. And I was trying to figure out and explore just very autodidactically, like, how can I stop this? And I didn't really have the language or the understanding of what it was. And one time while I was trying to meditate, I started realizing just what you were talking about. It's like, oh, my body thinks it's in danger right now. But like, I'm looking around, I'm just sitting in a room. And I actually started laughing because it was, I mean, from the outside, it would look a little wild, but I started picturing if there was a camera in the room and it was pointing at me and what would that look like on a monitor? And then I would say, okay, but then how am I feeling? So I'm like, my heart's racing, I'm freaked out and I'm sweating. But if I look at this camera, I'm just a guy sitting on a couch. Like it's, it became so funny to me, the disconnect between objective reality and my subjective experience of what was happening and how my nervous system was all tuned up that I really kind of like laughed my way out of the, <laughs> that zone. <laughs> and it was a big breakthrough because I just realized like, oh, right. And that's when I made the connection that when you breathe slowly and calmly, it sends messages to your mind that your body is safe. And just focusing on that, remembering what's really happening in reality, as opposed to the conditioned kind of reaction that you're living in. I appreciate you sharing that. And what you're beautifully describing is the ability that we can create within ourselves to be an observer. I mean, you even using that kind of visual of looking at myself in a mirror. I mean, that, in my opinion, is one of the greatest benefits of any meditative practice, which in my opinion can be beyond just traditionally sitting in a room. I actually think that there's great benefit of learning how to live in that kind of self-witnessing mode where we're able to, because our brain can allow us to do that, be an observer of our thoughts mm -hmm. in our mind in real time, of the shifts and sensations in our body in real time. And that those are the moments where we want to begin to make new choices, especially in, you know, for the purposes of my new book, which is all in relationships, especially in relationships, because that moment in time with you sitting alone on a couch, right? And I'll just share from myself now, place my partner hypothetically next to me. And I have all of this agitation inside of me, right? It's seemingly though a peaceful, calm day where it is hanging on the couch. If those same signals are happening in my body, I'm stressed, right? My heart rate, my tension, my breathing. Before long, I'm feeling, you know, I'm going to use the term agitated or stressed internally. And what I would notice myself doing, it was only a matter of time before that agitation came outward. And I started to nitpick or see or, you know, see or pick up on things in the environment that my partner was doing or not doing, right, that then caused a reaction from me, right? Now, my overstressed body is not going to be calm and grounded in my interactions. I'm actually going to, and these are what I define as like a cycle of emotional addiction, right? The stress in my body is now before long until I'm aware of it, just like I described earlier, is going to, if I'm just reacting from it, probably agitate or stress my relationship. And then my stress, right, is going to kind of be detected because my partner's nervous system is doing the same thing mine is scanning outside of their own awareness and it's going to pick up on it. And this is what happens in our relationships. And some of us can get stuck in these cycles of conflict and reactivity, again, not grounded in what's actually happening, but that many of us have just carried with us that originated in our earliest first relationships. Yes, 100%. 100%. That's so, so wonderfully described. And it's wild how, how much power that that really has. And it's kind of like an invisible force that people don't realize until they become aware of it and can start to see it. And just the 
intentionality of staying in a grounded, self-aware place is so valuable because then that, you know, as you were talking about, that starts to compound over time. You know, the more that you start to integrate and just stay in that space of witness and self-awareness, that brings a calm and a groundedness. And then that extends that space to your partner. Then they start to feel more safe and comfortable, which then makes you feel more safe and comfortable. And then it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper, hypothetically speaking. (laughs) Hey friends, this podcast is brought to you by AG1. Now, I love supplements. They're a huge part of my daily routine. I've used them for over a decade, and I'm always searching for new ones, doing research, finding out what the best optimum supplements are, and then trying them to see how they make me feel and if I want to use them in my daily routine instead of what I'm currently using. And I have to say, AG1 is my favorite go-to supplement. It has replaced a whole bunch of other ones that I was using before because It's got a lot packed in there. It's got 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. And it tastes good. It's easy, just one scoop. I actually mix it in with my protein powder every morning, so it's super easy. Uh, It tastes good, and I can't recommend it enough. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs. Love those travel packs. I take a stack of them with me every time I go somewhere. I'm going out of town this weekend and I'll certainly be taken with me on the road. Go to drinkag1.com astral. That's drinkag1.com astral. Check it out. So I want to talk about, you know, this beautiful new book of yours, um, How to Be the Love You Seek, which I love the title. It's so great. Um, what made you want to point your focus on relationships this time? Um, a couple things. Uh, historically, I, you know, was a couples therapist. I spent many years in rooms with couples, very much dis- just as disempowered feeling as they were watching and witnessing these cycles and no amount of talking, communication, even awareness about, you know, I was very much what we call in the field psychodynamically trained, which really just means we know the childhood is important. So there were many <laughs> sessions, right, that I would sit with couples, you know, families even in front of me exploring, you know, childhood dynamics. But what I wasn't aware of is the body and how the body is storing all of this. And even if logically, right, we're given new tools and saying new things, if our body, to speak to the, you know, illustrate, isn't communicating something differently in those moments, there isn't safety. And then we're going to go right down those old pathways of how we've learned to adapt. So sitting in rooms with many couples definitely is inspired desire to, you know, think about couples differently because when I didn't have those tools and the awareness of the body's role, you know, I felt unable to really help people break these cycles. And then, of course, I think naturally we're, we're social creatures as, as human beings. And after writing my first book, How to Do the Work, which is really kind of a focus on this awareness of our subconscious and how habited and patterned we are as individuals and how we do have the possibility to create change, I think the natural step is well, what about our relationships? Because myself included, many of us, right, can come to new awarenesses about ourselves and begin to make new choices, yet it's within our relationships where those the deepest patterns um, really continue to keep us locked. And so really in service of what is so inspirational for me is watching a collective, you know, wake up to some of these habits and patterns that have been passed on through generations and really desiring to break these cycles 
um, this was, you know, what has inspired me to actually write a book, um, giving people hopefully this new awareness and then new tools to begin to actually do that. Wonderful. Yeah, it's really, really beautiful. And, and the book is, is so great. And I, I love how looking through there, there's these self-inquiry methods, you know, where it's, again, it's so easy to talk about this stuff in the abstract, but turning it around to where it's like, let's pause and take an inventory of what you have felt or how you believe, you know, your past experience was. And it's just highlights so much truth that would go unexamined and un or unconsidered um, without that. And I know the first thing whenever I looked at that childhood emotional safety checklist, I was like, well, I'm not going to be saving a lot of ink on this one. <laughs> no, no excess will be made in any of these boxes, <laughs> you know, just for example, but they, they're all so great. And um, what was it that, that, you know, gave you the idea to create that approach where it really draws that awareness out of people through the, that type of actionable stuff? Um, I took um, a much similar approach in, in how to do the work where, you know, every chapter would end with how do I translate what I've now just learned into an action item, though I, I think um, that this book actually has a more in-depth practical manual for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, um, there's just much more involved in this particular book itself, um, again, specifically around the nervous system. And to speak to your point, the reason why we're even thinking about child, childhood safety and security, really, because that is the kind of arena or container by which we learn where we adapt when it wasn't, you know, safe and secure, when we didn't have a parent who was grounded in themselves and aware of themselves and their emotions and even creating space for the reality that we're a separate and unique individual, which for a lot of parents isn't necessarily, right, the belief. So mm -hmm. really understanding, you know, that it is grounded and our nervous system will wire um, and I can make an argument even that we will begin to embody, and I call them conditioned selves throughout the book, right? We'll embody these very conditioned pattern ways of being that were born out of that lack of safety and security in our earliest environment. So, you know, understanding, I think, the nervous system and then understanding that there can be practical ways that we can begin to do that self-inquiry. Um, and even more so beyond that self-inquiry, many of the chapters end with practical ways to right, care for our body through nutrition, through movement, through rest, and then more so ways to self-soothe our overwhelming emotions so that we can then safely co-regulate and then even shifting the focus, how can I create safety when I am with another partner? So I think the topic itself lend it to the ability to really dive into what that, these these could look like in action items. Though, as always, all of my work will be grounded on those two principles, hopefully giving people new information or a new way to understand or think about information or themselves in general with that awareness piece. And then we'll always be followed up with, okay, well, what to do? Because we all want to build that bridge from insight. Many of us are stuck and feeling very frustrated and disempowered and shameful because many of us know, right, all of the things, yet we can't do the thing. So my hope is that really understanding that it's typically our nervous system and all that those subconscious adaptations that are preventing us from doing the new things, and then giving us some new tools so we can actualize and change. It's so smart to do it that way because like just on Instagram alone, the number one thing that I see people with messages that they send me or comments is, I'm aware of this, but how? How yeah. do I do it? I <laughs> see it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> um, so it, in the book, you talk about trauma bonds. Um, what are those? And 
just a, I guess, just a, a brief description of what those are. So I like to offer a, a more expanded definition. I'm imagining some people have happened upon um, the concept of trauma bond um, around kind of the abuse dynamic, which absolutely is is part of, you know, when, when a, we're in a relationship where there's active abuse, I think a lot of times that has been termed, that's, that's a trauma bond state, though I'm the, of the belief that any instance where we didn't have that emotional safety and security, and this even goes hand in hand with the expanded definition of of trauma itself that I spoke about and how to do the work. It's it's not just those big things, right? Traditionally, um, like the ACEs scale indicates that happen to us that create trauma in the body. It's 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 many more things, including attachment, interpersonal trauma, including things we didn't get, like that safety and secure, grounded presence of an individual, and that's kind of the category that I fit in though, not having that expanded definition for trauma left me feeling really confused and shameful because I was seeing in myself so many of the adaptations that I was seeing in clients that I would work with that were scoring very high in that ACEs or that traditional trauma scale. So similarly, um, really, if I wanna simplify what a trauma bond is, it's that pattern of relating to ourselves first and foremost, because that's how we we gain a sense of self is not just a self as a, 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 an individual, as a child, it's a self in relation to someone else because we're born underdeveloped. Our nervous system is underdeveloped and we are in a state of dependency. We need another human. We need that safe nervous system to actually calm us down when we're upset. And when we don't have that, right, we are taking in that information, not only what is being said, but how people are interacting with us, how present and available they are to our needs, how willing they are to explore us as a separate individual. So really kind of going back and understanding that, then we understand that when we couldn't leave, right, we couldn't just move out and create a new life for ourselves. What we did do is we adapted because that connection, even when the caregiver wasn't present, wasn't safe, wasn't secure emotionally, we still needed them. So we can we began and then continued to modify how we show up to preserve those connections. So that's really what, it, what a trauma bond is. And in my opinion, most of us as adults are in a version of that relationship, a relationship, again, grounded in the ways that we had to create connection, safety, even define love for ourselves, all based in childhood and aren't actually kind of a, a testament to authentic love, in my opinion, because authentic love really comes and the nervous system is going to be part of the definition when we're, and you used it yourself, when we're safely grounded to ourselves, when we're aware of who we are and when we can gift that safety and that exploration and that curiosity, simply when we can allow someone else to be who they are. Because what happens in trauma bonds is we modify ourselves and then unknowingly we request or demand, some of us, others to modify themselves. And that's why, in my opinion, we're so resentful. We're in so much conflict with each other. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's uh, so many times that is working against the person who's making those requests too. They're like, come on, you're <laughs> stable. I need you to be more like my abusive mother or whatever. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's where it's really counterintuitive. And that's a beautiful example of it, right? When someone's stable, I just did a post about this recently, we just put out, right? When someone isn't giving us those spikes of cortisol or that stress and that chaos, 
right? It doesn't feel alluring. It doesn't make us feel that familiar. We can't play the role that we always play, which might mean to like chase them or to, you know, kind of help them or join them in their spikes. And this was me, right? For me, sitting, stillness, peace, calm was so unfamiliar. That moment on the couch, right? Felt so uncomfortable. So what did I do? I agitated the situation. Mm, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. And so just to what you just described there was just such a wonderful encapsulation of pretty much everyone's problems that they're dealing with. I just want to <laughs> give a quick, I want to revisit it real quick for the listeners in case it, it flew by because it was so, uh, so packed full of, of good stuff there. Um, so essentially, in this experience of where we're born into a environment into the situation with, you know, whatever the inherited uh, traits of that our, our, our uh, mother and father have, they have the issues where they're not showing up in a certain way what, in which we need. And so we change our behavior, our, our nat what we naturally need to fit into the shape and the mold of who they are, you know, for, for better or for worse, so that we can still connect in some way, even if it's ill-fitting and destructive. And because in the foundational aspects of our childhood, whenever that's all being, it's all like cement that's being poured, then as we grow up in age, that becomes what seems to be a natural foundation for how things are. But it only seems normal because it's what we experience first. And so, you know, the work, Nicole, that you're doing in my eyes is, getting people to recognize that that foundation isn't what is it's just what happened and being able to expand your awareness and see other ways of being other ways of thinking about yourself and relating to the people in your relationships um so let's say that whenever someone starts to recognize that their trauma bonds are real <laughs> and impacting them. Uh, what are some ways that they can start to work with those and change the shapes of those? So I think, you know, again, with, within awareness comes the ability to, to do just that, to begin to work with those. And again, just emphasizing that point, because I think that for many of us gives us the power back. What I know I did for, for, for many years, right? Feeling emotionally disconnected, probably not surprised to hear. Of course, I'm emotionally disconnected in my relationships because I'm emotionally disconnected to myself. Yet without that awareness, I continued to point the finger, to blame my partners for that lack of emotional connection, ultimately to leave, to find a more perfect partner. And until I really took a look right at, at again my childhood and and had the awareness that there was that emotional disconnection with all my family members but with my mom who was you know my core caregiver um you know in in general then i now have the power back the choice back and i'm emphasizing that point because again in couples therapy in the couples world i do think sometimes there's an emphasis more on external right change if someone could just do something different right you're the problem i the Taylor Swift song yeah. you know, I made a playlist. Actually, that's the first song on it for this particular book. If anyone's interested, it's on Spotify. Um, that aside, so jokes aside, that's real. And a lot of us, you know, continue to live looking for this idealized person, right? That's not going to create the same feelings, not to understand that we're a co-creator in those feelings. And in my circumstances, I'm disconnected. So of course, 
my relationships feel disconnected. So that awareness gives us the power and the choice back to the, again, begin to make new choices that are more aligned. And the, the number one choices that, you know, we need to many of us create space for in our relationship, again, in my opinion, are to care for our physical body, to create space and ability to regulate through the tough moments, through the stress, through the natural reality of navigating life with a different individual who has different perspectives, different feelings, came from a different lived experience. So when the ball is in my court, then I can make some choices to create space to identify what my needs are, right? How is my body reacting in certain moments and certain relationships in general? So these are just areas we can begin to look. Again, mapping right onto those those nervous system markers, right? When I'm around a certain person, when a certain topic comes up, right? What is activating my body? And even if you're like me, I'm a byproduct of early trauma for many of us with the amount of cortisol overwhelm um, in our hippocampus, a part of the brain that you know deals with memory. Some of us, myself included, we have a hard time recalling. So a common question, I guess, well, what happens if I can't? Or if I don't have a relationship with my, my family or my parents or one left or I don't really know like me what it, what it looked like or felt like, we can see the enactment now, right? So for me, that meant looking. And the first thing I noticed when I was describing, oh, I'm not connected to myself at all, I noticed I had no space for my needs. I would filter all of my choices first through what I imagined someone wanted or needed of me. And what I was doing in the process was I was overstepping my body's limits. My body was stressed in certain occasions and certain relationships in general, just in general, because I was so dysregulated and I wasn't creating space to make choices, especially if the choices that I needed to make to not do something right active or go see a friend to not take on someone's emotions and support because I'm emotionally going through something myself or overwhelmed, right? To actually create the space to say, hold on, I have a need in here. My body is telling me something and it actually is opposing what I've practiced doing and even what you're maybe outright requesting me to do, right? And I have to now create the space or set up a boundary, a limit and all of this is very difficult. It goes against my conditioning, right? All of these beliefs I have about this good person that I need to be to show up for someone else and actually begin to make those choices to care for myself, my body in particular. Because again, unless I'm safe, grounded and regulated, I'm going to be showing up, reacting, probably reacting those old ways I once was, which again, for me, was emotionally disconnecting once I became emotionally overwhelmed, which was quite often. Mm, that's so great. Yeah. And that that's something that is a really powerful skill to learn, which is, I think most people, they just feel the energy of their emotions in those moments. And because those moments are so intense as in, in relation to just the resting, you know, feeling of the day to day, that you miss the the wisdom that's coming through in those emotions as well. Cause there's this language that it's, they're trying to tell you something, you know? And I think for people to start to recognize it's not just sensation that we're feeling in those moments, it's actually information as well, you know? Yeah. And realizing like noticing the body when that heart rate starts spiking, when your shoulders get tense, when your brow furls, when you start getting sweaty palms, like, sure, that's a feeling, but look at the, what's the, the situation that you're experiencing 
you know, and kind of exploring that understanding, like, why am I reacting this way? What was said? What is the context of the people I'm around? And all that stuff is just such an incredibly valuable way to kind of backtrack those original imprintations that caused the trauma bonding. I'm really happy, Corey, actually, that you're, you're even using the word backtrack. Um, and I love uh, sensations or information. I love that, that statement. I'm repeating that in my head, but kind of emphasizing this point too, because some of us are of the belief that we're going to be able to do this in real time the first time that we hear the suggestion to do that. Right. And that's, that's not the case, right? And again, I can make an argument kind of in terms of our own neurology or the functioning of our nervous system with why. When our nervous system, when we're stressed and we're activated in a stress response, we actually lose access to the ability, the part of our brain the pre right, that allows us to have and hold all of this information and even think about this future and different choice we want to make and being able to actualize it. So this is, again, where I have to give the oftentimes very difficult suggestion and advice to hear, which is we have to create this as a consistent habit outside of those moments, outside of those points of explosive reactivity, right? When we're beginning to notice a little bit of stress in the body, not when we're already locked and loaded, because in that moment, chances are we're just gonna pull the gun. We're not gonna be able to stop ourselves. So again, it's really about creating not only the consistent awareness, though the consistent practice of these new choices so that it becomes accessible in the moments where we really need it. And again, it's not gonna happen overnight. And this is a, a point of shame for a lot of us, you know, and <laughs> even for me, I mean, I will speak to the point as of yesterday, even I, I said, and I raised my voice and I said things in a way that was re in a reactive trauma reaction, not from a grounded state. And I have this awareness. I've been practicing, you know, consistently. I, I understand why it happened yesterday because I haven't necessarily been caring for my body. Like I got back at this morning, like I shared with you mm -hmm. before <laughs> we got on this call and I exploded for lack of a better word yesterday in my relationship. So again, sharing that from my own journey, because it's, it's real. These are hardwired into us. Um, we're not just going to hear myself suggest this and then be like, oh, OK, the next time that, you know, it, it happens, I'm going to do it. No, we're going to have to practice consistently. And we're still going to have moments where we say and do things from that reactive state. And in those moments, we have to grant ourselves, you know, grace and compassion and, you know, give ourselves love and oftentimes offer an apology and, a, you know, accountability to our loved ones and, you know, continue to work at it. Yeah. And I love that you share that. And, and thank you for sharing that you had that, that reactive moment yesterday, because so many people like to paint this picture of like, I have, I'm completed, you know, like <laughs> I finished everything, uh, you know, and, yeah, and now I'm here to share with you how you can do the same. It's like, that's just not what life is like. That's not what people are like. And I try and share that with myself too, because just because I'm naturally, um, or I've I've grown to become a very calm, almost kind of stoic seeming person. Like people think that they're like, I can't even imagine you like I can't imagine you grocery shopping, much less like getting into some conflict or something. And it's like, no, I do the same thing. You know, it's like I'm 90 times better than I was when I was 15. But still, I, you know, I'll snap at someone. I'll say something, you know, more 
cutting whenever I, I really didn't need to, you know, something that's saying like, I could have just said no, but instead I said a quiet, like you're an asshole for saying that <laughs> or thinking that it's like, okay, that wasn't necessary. And, you know, it just happens. And just like you said, whenever you're tired, whenever you're stressed, whenever you're overwhelmed and you don't have ultimately the mental spaciousness to proceed, you know, in a thoughtful and, and mindful way. But and I love that how you described that you know, whenever that happens, it's like, you're not guilty and starting over again. It's like part of the work is being responsible, like you said, and taking accountability and just saying, you know, how to quickly recognize what happened and how to then communicate and, and say, you know, sorry about that. I'm whatever, didn't mean, you know, that, and I apologize and et cetera, et cetera. And that, that accountability in real time or as close to real time as, as you can, I think is one of the most valuable skills as far as moving forward with, with doing this type of work. Absolutely. And, you know, again, anytime we gift ourselves accountability, we gift ourselves compassion and grace and really embrace, you know, for lack of better words, the messiness, right, of, of it all, the byproduct, again, in our relationships is we become more empathetic and able to do that with other people. Now, of course, this isn't to say that there's some instances where we need a boundary or, you know, we are being violated in a very real way. I just want to put that disclaimer out there. Of course, there are moments, right, where we do have to, you know, make a choice outside of just explaining away. And I'm actually speaking to an old version of myself who in many past relationships explained away, you know, very hurtful moments, very hurtful things that were said and done to me because I had the awareness of, oh, well, they're just coming from a hurtful place. But that was really emblematic of what I was describing earlier, my inability to create that, that in this instance, that emotional space for myself, that ability to say, regardless of where it came from, it's not okay that you said that to me. It's not okay that you treated me that way. And it's not me asking you, because this is what a boundary is not, it's not me asking you to change. It's actually me saying, you continue to say and do those things to me. And now I will do, remove myself from the relationship something different in those moments yeah that's wonderful that's wonderful and i i love the uh the you pointed out this nuance about boundaries too i feel like there's been kind of a weird little like cultural miswire about understanding what they are and it's come up a few times recently but it's great that you uh that you highlighted highlighted it like that um so kind of towards the end of the book, you start talking about empowering your relationships and really actively, you know, building those and strengthening them. Um, what are your thoughts around some of the best methods to, to do that? And also even just what that means in your terms. I think we're, we're kind of getting into that, even with that example of, right. When we're focusing really on, on, on how we're showing up in a relationship and shifting from that very natural tendency that many of us have to blame, right? You caused me to feel this way. If you just didn't, I wouldn't, right? And to really focus on myself and how can I, I think that's the biggest shift of empowerment, right? How can I make this situation feel less stressful, less upsetting? How can I navigate this differently? And anytime we're in that stance and we take even the responsibility, right? Of making a choice that I feel differently even if you don't do anything different, because a very difficult reality in our relationships, and I think it keeps us disempowered, is this idea that many of us have, oftentimes from childhood, right, that we can control or change other people. We can't. And more so, we, we carry another kind of immature, 
defining as a more childish belief, right? That other people's choices, abilities, inabilities, or whatever they might be, are a reflection of us. Because in childhood, in that egocentric state of development, which lasts for about seven plus years, that is the only way our brain could 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 consider the world. We were the center of the orbit. When mom or dad was available or not available, or however they showed up, was a reflection of us in some way. And so many of us carry that ingrained in our subconscious, that belief, right? So we assign meanings, we personalize, right? Someone's inability to show up for us or the fact that they're reactive in a moment or we take it on, right? And we continue to assign that same meaning that it must be because we're not worthy or we more confirm the meaning of oh, it's because we're not worthy, right? Like we've always believed or we're not lovable or this person is going to hurt us just like that last person did. So being able to see all of those moments where we're assigning that personalized meaning or we're trying to control or change someone else, right, will allow us, in my opinion, to be in that empowered state. So to do it, right, we notice when we're when we're you know, kind of externalizing, you know, kind of blaming, personalizing, and we refocus and ask ourselves, well, what can we do different, right? How can I calm myself down? How can I honor what it is that I need? How can I communicate right this to a partner? And what will I do if and when they are unable to do differently? Right. That is what, in my opinion, what an empowered state in a relationship is, because the gift then of that is when we're not dependent, reliant, controlling, trying to manipulate as some of us do someone into doing something else, we create a safer environment, not only for ourselves, but for that other person to be and explore who they are. Mm-hmm. No, oh, wonderful. Yeah, and I, I love that you touch on the point of personalization because that's such a human quality. Like it's, it, it's so baked in that it's hard for us to really get out of that, to see it from the outside. And a really valuable thing that I started to ask myself at one point, and you know, I've been in the same relationship for like almost 20 years at this point. And there's a lot of, you know, I'm sure you can imagine the, <laughs> a lot of uh, growth and change and, and difficulty and, and stuff over that time. Um, and, you know, at some point, a very valuable thing I asked myself was, what if this isn't about me? Huh? I know it's 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 a shocking thing to consider, but perhaps not all of this behavior has everything to do with me. And it's either not me being guilty, not me being in quotes in trouble, or not me being specifically you know acted out against in the situation. I'm really relating. I'm shaking my head to the in trouble one. That's very much a, a big one. Um, I think for a lot of us, for me, right, this idea that people's you know reactions are a reflection of of being in, in a state of trouble or wrong or bad. These are all kind of language I think that some of us are unworthy, you know, that we give to ourselves. Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, that's the, I mean, as far as the childhood issue goes, it's like, that's the big one, right? It's because you have the parent God figure who is doling out the authoritative truth, the gospel of you are either in my good graces or you should be banished from parental love and a lot of, you know, people who experience conditional love, you know, and that just tracks on so hard to where then anything, whatever it is moving forward in life, then if you've, if someone is having a emotional 
you know, reaction or feeling conflict or tension about anything, you immediately think, oh, it's, it's about me. I must have done something, you know, and it's, um, it's, I've experienced that for such a huge chunk of my life. And it's a really, you know, it's a challenging thing to get over, but you know, it, it can be done. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's, it's challenged again, bringing the nervous system back in because not only does that become our go-to meaning, right? Oh, it must be me. I must be in trouble. This distance must mean they're leaving or whatever version of that is for you. Before even that happens, chances are our nervous system is in that state of hypervigilance. We're looking, we're scanning, we're, we're kind of, you know, hyper-focused on the twitch in their eye or the shift in their, you know, tone of voice. So we're creating a situation where we're, we're going to see what we want to see, even right. if it's not the reality. So we kind of lock ourselves into this self-confirming cycle where we have no other choice but to continue to affirm this deep-rooted belief about ourselves. So then what are we left to do but show up in the same old way that we always show up? And again, it begins, in my opinion, why it's so important to involve our nervous system in the conversation and in our healing journey is because it begins at that state of hypervigilance that some of us don't even know we're in where we're looking to confirm exactly what we thought to be true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We are all such little Nostradamuses. <laughs> we create these self-fulfilling prophecies so regularly and so easily. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to be respectful of your time, but Nicole, thank you so much for coming on and congratulations on the new book. I love it, the, the title and just every time, you know, just talking with you is so much fun. Uh, and I feel like just you think in the way that I, you know, I relate to how you think so much and it's just really really beautiful and uh, inspiring. So thank you for coming on and talking again. Oh, thank you, Corey, for having me. Thank you all for listening. Um, I really do celebrate um, you for for putting out these conversations and everyone who who tunes in. Um, I think for many of us, this is, you know, new information, challenging information, though. Again, I think this is all really indicative, indicative of indicative of <laughs> us, you know, kind of waking up and, and beginning to to question things, even if they do feel difficult and beginning to make shifts and changes that, in my opinion, really have a ripple effect, not only for our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, but again, I can make a case for humanity itself. So I, I don't say that lightly. Um, I really do appreciate um, anyone who is, you know, interested in any of these topics and, and in talking and in listening to me. I do think that we're, we're all doing our part to really shift things collectively. And I think it's needed at this time. So thank you all.